Welcome everybody who's listening in online by radio or telephone. We're glad you have chosen to join us this morning for the Srimad Bhagavatam Discourse. Nothing like a little philosophy to get your day started right. This morning we're going to be reading, if you have your Srimad Bhagavatam first canto handy, we're going to be reading from the first canto, third chapter, text number two. So if you'll get your book out, you can read along with us and chant the shlokas with us. For those of you who have been listening in to the archived classes online, yesterday you heard uh, Mother Jaishi Radhe give a very nice discourse on the second or the first text of chapter number three. She began by talking about uh, the Supreme Lord and his in his expansions as Lord Vishnu, creating the spiritual world, uh, creating the material world. Thank you. Creating the material world, coming into the material world is another expansion, Garbhadakshayi Vishnu, and uh, and entering the planet known as the Pole Star which is said to be a Vaikuntha planet within this material world. In that form, he is known as Shirodakshayi Vishnu. And he also uh, enters into the hearts of every living entity's material body, whatever type of body he happens to have. So we're going to, we're going to be continuing on this. I appreciate very much that class by Mother Jayashirade. And if you, if for some reason you miss a class, if for some reason you have to miss a class and want to hear it either in the evening or the next morning, the classes are usually put online by Premasindu Prabhu around 10 o'clock in the evening. I think usually is when I find that they, they show up on the archived version. You go to radicalachanji.org. And then find the menu, scroll down until you get to media. And then uh, click on media, and it uh, then you're given the archived version of the classes. So it's a very nice thing to have, especially in the morning sometime when you're getting ready to go to work or you're getting ready for class here to begin, the live class. You can go back and listen to the, some of the classes that have been given previously. So before we begin today's discourse on Srimad Bhagavatam, we will chant some shlokas invoking the presence, the blessings of the Supreme Lord. Chant along with us if you will. Regardless of where you are, if you have a little bit of privacy, you can chant with us. Jayarata Madhava Kunjabihadi Jaya Rathamadhava Kunjabihari Jai Gopi Janavala Bhagdivaradhari Gopi Janavala Bhagirivadhadhari Yashuranandana Brajajana Ranjana Yashuranandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Banachari Jamuna Tira Banachari Jaya Rathamadhava 
ಕುಂಜಾಭಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯ ರಥ ಮಾಧವ ಕುಂಜಾಭಿಹಾರಿ ಗೌರು ಪ್ರೇಮನಂದ ಹರಿ ಹರಿಬೋ ಜಯೋಂ ವಿಷ್ಣುಪಾದ ಪರಮಹಂಸ ಪರಿಭಿಜಾಕಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಹಸ್ತೋತರಸ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀಮಾರಿಸ್ವೈನ್ ಲವಿಂಗ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಅಭಯ ಚರಣರವಿಂದ ಭಕ್ತಿವೇದಾಂತ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಮಹಾರಾಜ ಶೀಲ ಪ್ರಭುಪಾರಕಿ ಜಯೋಂ ವಿಷ್ಣುಪಾದ ಪರಮಹಂಸ ಪರಿಭಿಜಾಕಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಹಸ್ತೋತರಸ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀಮಾರ್ is divine grace shila bhakti siddhanta saraswati goshami maharaj shila prabhupar ki ananta kuti vaishnavind ki iskan bbt founder charge shil prabhupar ki iskan guru param bhara ki shiru jisanatan bataraganat shi jeeva gopal batadasaraganat sadko samay prabhu ki naam charge shil haridas akur ki ಪ್ರೇಮಸೋ ಶ್ರೀಕೃಷ್ಣ ಚೈತನ್ಯ ಪ್ರಭುನಿತ್ಯಾನಂದ ಶ್ರೀರ್ವೈತ ಗದಾಧರ್ ಶ್ರೀ ವಾಸರಿ ಗೋರಭಕ್ತವೃಂದಗೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀ ರಾಧಾ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಗೋಪ ಗೋಪಿನಾಥ ಶ್ಯಾಮಕುಂದ ರಾಧಕುಂದ ಗಿರಿ ಗೋವಿಧಾನಕೀ ಶ್ರೀ ವೃಂದಬಂಧಾಮಕೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಮಥುರಾರಾಮಕೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಮಾಯಪುನಾಭದ್ವೀತಾಮಕೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಜಗನ್ನಥಪುರಿಧಾಮಕೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀ ರಾಧಾ ಕಲಚಂಜಿಧಾಮಕೀ ಗಂಗದೇವಿಕೀ ಯಮುನುಮಾಯಿಕಿ ತುಳಸಿದೇವಿಕಿ ಭಕ್ತಿದೇವಿಕಿ ಸಂಭವೀರಭಕ್ತವೃಂದಕಿ ಬ್ರಿಯತ್ಮರಂಗ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸೆಂಡಲ್ ಬುಕ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸೆಂಡಲ್ ಪ್ರಸಾರ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಿಬ್ಯೂಷನ್ ಕಿ ನಿತಾಯ್ ಗೌರ ಪ್ರೇಮನಂದ ಹರಿ ಹರಿ ಬೌ ಆ ಗ್ಲೋವೀಸ್ ದಿಯ ಸಂಭಟ ಬೌಟೀಸ್ 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 All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Namon Vishnupadaya Krishnapastaya Bhutale Shemate Bhaktivedanta Swaminiti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Devi Bodhavani Pachanine Nivishesha Srinivari Prasatya Desha Srila Prabhupada Kijai Once again, first canto chapter 3 text number 2 of the shrimad bhagavatam and we'll do word for word translations first yashyam basi actually we'll just repeat the translation shayanasya yoga nidram vitanvata nabhi ಹ್ರದಂಬುಜಾದ್ ಆಸೀದ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವಿಶ್ವ ಶ್ರೀಜಂ ಪತಿ ಪೋಟ್ರಿ ಯಶ್ಯಾಂಬಸಿಷಯಾಸಿಯೋಗನಿದ್ರಾಂಬಿಥನ್ಬಾ ನಾಭಿಹೃದ್ಯಾಂಬುಜಾಸಿಭ್ರಮಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾಶ್ವಾ
Word-for-word translations. Yasya, whose, Ampasi, in the water. Shayanasya, lying down. Yoganidram, sleeping in meditation. Bitanbata, ministering. Nabhi, navel. Radha, out of the lake, Ambujat, from the lotus, Asit, was manifested. Brahma, the grandfather of the living beings. Vishva, the universe. Srijam, the engineers. Pati, master. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. A part of the Purusha lies down within the water of the universe. From the navel lake of His lotus body sprouts a lotus stem. And from the lotus flower atop this stem, Brahma, the master of all engineers in the universe, becomes manifest. Repeat with me, please. A part of the Purusha lies down within the water of the universe. From the navel lake of his body sprouts a lotus stem. And from the lotus flower atop this stem, Brahma, the master of all engineers in the universe, Becomes manifest. And the purport by Srila Prabhupada. The first Purusha is the Karanadakashai Vishnu. From his skin, skin holds, in other words, his pores in his skin. Innumerable universes have sprung up. In each and every universe, the Purusha enters as the Garbhodakashai Vishnu. He is lying within the half of the universe which is filled with water of his body. And from the navel of Garbhadakshayi Vishnu has sprung the stem of the lotus flower, the birthplace of Brahma, who is the father of all living beings and the master of all demigod engineers engaged in the perfect design and working of the universal order. Within the stem of this lotus, There are 14 divisions of planetary systems, and the earthly planets are situated in the middle. Upwards, there are other, better planetary systems, and the topmost system is called Brahmaloka, or Satyaloka. Downwards from the earthly planetary stem, or system, there are seven lower planetary systems inhabited by the Asuras and similar other materialistic living beings. From Garbhadakshayi Vishnu, there is the expansion of the Kshirdakshayi Vishnu, who is the collective Paramatma, that's the super soul, of all living beings. He is called Hari. And from him, all incarnations within the universe are expanded. Therefore, and this is quite a long purport, so bear with me. 
Therefore, the conclusion is that the Purush avatar is manifested in three features. First, the Karanadakashai Vishnu, whom Prabhupada sometimes calls Karananashai Vishnu, who creates aggregate material ingredients in the Mahat Tattva. The second, the Garbhodakshai Vishnu, who enters into each and every universe. And the third, the Chirodakshai Vishnu, who is the Paramatma of every material object, organic or inorganic. One who knows these plenary features of the Supreme Personality of Godhead knows Godhead properly, and thus the knower becomes freed from the material conditions of birth, death, old age, and disease, as it is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. In this shloka, the subject matter of the Mahavishnu is summarized. The Mahavishnu lies down in some part of the spiritual sky by his own free will. Thus he lies on the ocean of Karna, from where he glances over his material nature, and the Mahatattva is at once created. Thus electrified by the power of the Lord, the material nature at once creates innumerable universes, just as in due course a tree decorates itself with innumerable, innumerable grown fruits. The seed of the tree is sown by the cultivator, and the tree or creeper in due course becomes manifested with so many fruits. Nothing can take place without a cause. The Karana Ocean is therefore called the Causal Ocean. Karana means causal. We should not foolishly accept the atheistic theory of creation. The description of atheists is given in the Bhagavad Gita. That's interesting, isn't it? That's, Shila, that's uh, Lord Sri Krishna's description of the atheists given in the Bhagavad Gita. The atheist does not believe in the Creator, but he cannot give a good theory to explain the creation. Material nature has no power to create without the power of a purusha, just as a prakriti or woman cannot produce a child without the connection of a purusha or man. The purusha impregnates and the prakriti delivers. We should not expect milk from the fleshy bags on the neck of a goat, although they look like breastly nipples. Similarly, we should not expect any creative power from the material ingredients. We must believe in the power of the Purusha, who impregnates prakriti or nature. Because the Lord wished to lie down in meditation, the material energy created innumerable universes at once. In each of them the Lord lay down, and thus all the planets and the different paraphernalia were created at once by the will of the Lord. The Lord has unlimited potencies, and thus he can act as he likes by perfect planning, although personally he has nothing to do. No one is greater than or equal to him. That is the verdict of the Vedas. Om Jnana Timinandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshunun Militam Dena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namah Shri Chaitanya Marobishtam Savitam Dena Bhutale Swayam Rupakada Maya Dadati Swavarantikam Bandeham Shri Guru Shri Dutta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavam Scha Shri Rupam Sagrajattam Sahagana Raghunathan Vitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Padijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitam Scha he Krishna Karanasando Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopiya Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Taptakanjana Gaurangi Radhe Brindamadeshwadi Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye 
Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pastaya Bhutale Srimate Tamal Krishna Gosamaniti Namane Hare Krishna I was speaking just before I began reciting shlokas about uh, the class that was given yesterday by Mother Jai Shirate. Very nice class in which he began talking first about the the large, the gigantic forms of Lord Vishnu which appear in this material world. So Krishna comes into this material world in the form of his um, his expansions, Lord Sri Vishnu. Three different ones with different functions. And then she she went on to talk yesterday about um, uh, the two-handed form of Krishna, uh, which is found present in the Vaikuntha planets along with the four-handed form. But in the two-handed form particularly appears in uh, Goloka Vrindavan. And she was she was uh, expressing her her uh, personal preference for this two-handed form of Krishna because he. And that form is a very personable fellow. He is he is speaking to Arjuna on the chariot on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, uh, giving him advice and also uh, acting as his personal human-type mentor. And so Arjuna wants to see his universal form, which Krishna shows him, but then, Krishna, but then Arjuna does not particularly like this very frightening feature of the Lord. So he asks him to please come back to your two-handed form, which is so dear. And Krishna says that this form of mine is very, very dear. So Krishna is the primary creator of this material world. And the human beings then act as subordinate creators, beginning with Lord Brahma, who is, uh, in this case, in our particular case now, he is a jiva soul who is particularly empowered uh, by Lord Krishna to create all the different forms of life within this universe. And we happen to know also that this is this is perhaps the smallest of the innumerable universes that are are, are present. And our Lord Brahma for this universe has four heads, whereas there are other Brahmas in other universes which are much larger. And uh, in those universes, the, the person acting as Lord Brahma can have hundreds, thousands, millions of heads in order to carry out the functions that he has to, has to enjoy performing for the sake of his creator, Lord Krishna. So we also are creators. Uh, we take this material energy of the Lord and we play with it and we use it for our own uh, maintenance and our own enjoyment. But Krishna, he is playing the role as the supreme creator. Um, even though he appears in this material world in the form of Lord Vishnu, he's enjoying his personal boyhood pastimes in the spiritual world. He may appear as a person who is uh, to be worshipped as uh, Lord Narayan and some of the different planets that are in the spiritual world, or he can appear as a little baby, as the son of Mother Yashoda in, in the uh, planet known as Goloka Vrindavan. He has to arrange, however, uh, a setting for those who have become a little bit dissatisfied, who want to check out this material energy of the Lord. And so he makes all facility for those living entities who have the desire to leave the spiritual world and come into this material world where they can check out the Lord's material energy and see something about how it works. And in this, in this world, in this material world, then he provides all the needs of the jivas. 
including a fleshly body such as that that we inhabit. And uh, there are other kinds of bodies also on different planets within this material world. So all of this is the creation of the Supreme Lord to allow the jivas to come and try to find pleasure in a in a in an atmosphere in which the Lord Himself is not so easily discerned. And so He enacts laws for the time that the living entities stay in this material world. And in the in the Bhagavad Gita, He says that that uh, that human beings should cooperate with those denizens of the higher planets, the demigods, uh, to, uh, to to perform uh, sacrifices for the for the the benefit, not for the benefit, but for the pleasure of the supreme lord. And so there are certain rules then that both demigods and the lower human beings, those on this planet, they have to follow. And as long as they follow those rules that the Lord has set up, then they can enjoy a life of pleasure and happiness and self-realization even in this material world. So they come in and they start acting as secondary creators. They use all the material ingredients that are at their disposal for their own maintenance and their own pleasure. But they, you know, we've found over, over time, ever since the beginning of the industrial age, a couple of three hundred, a couple of hundred years ago, I guess we can say, back probably in the late 1800s, which was the 19th century, we, we have found that, uh, that life can become very complex in an industrial society. Industrial, and we also have to add the term military. Because since this country of the United States of America was formed, there have been almost continuous wars, one after the next. And so we, we, we have found then living in this world that the lifestyle that was lived before the Industrial Revolution began was an agrarian lifestyle in which people were lived, lived close to the land. And they stayed in relatively... Uh, small communities, which provided all the needs for the citizens of that community. So they enjoyed living very simply in that kind of agrarian lifestyle. But, you know, as as uh, man began to enter the industrial age, uh, then he began to desire more and more comforts and pleasure. And so a lot of people who, who were living in a very peaceful atmosphere out in the rural countryside, they began leaving that kind of setting and going into the crowded and cramped and crime-infested, insect, rodent-infested world of the cities at that time. And they weren't nearly as pleasing, perhaps, as today's cities. They weren't as clean. They weren't as free from... Uh, danger as today's cities are, even though they're not completely free from those things even today. And so the whole thing that has brought about this, this, this rush to the cities by people living out in the country is cheap energy. You know, early on in this country, up in the Northeast particularly, people found out that there was there were uh, there were streams flowing down the mountainsides and if they dammed up those streams they could have a source of, of continuous renewable power by having these uh, having the falling water turn a big wheel and it was connected to eventually to a, an electric generator which provided power for lights and for other kinds of machinery for this industrial age and so that was a, that was cheap renewable energy. All you really needed to do was build the dam, and then have the uh, have the water run over a water wheel, and then it turned the water wheel, and it provided. Well, as a matter of fact, before they even thought about hooking up an electric generator, they had uh, pulleys and belts which operated different kinds of machinery, and particularly in particular. Uh, machines that would grind up the cornmeal and the wheat and other types of grains into into flour. 
and it made it a lot easier than, uh, you know, individual householders having to do this, especially the ladies, every morning having to grind up uh, the ingredients to make the chapatis and the puris and the, and the other kinds of preparations that they make. So it was it, that was extremely cheap energy. But then somebody thought, well, if we if we I, maybe we can build a machine that operates off of off of steam. So they they hooked up a big a big boiler and and put wood under it, built a fire, and created steam. And that steam came off and and could be used to turn a a, a type of wheel like a water wheel, except uh, maybe smaller, but with a lot more power. And people found out that they could set up this kind of steam engine just about anywhere that they had a source of water and a source of fuel. And then when they found out that they could put such an engine in a locomotive, that uh, that they could uh, build tracks across the country and they could haul water and fuel to various remote places. And so, therefore, it became possible to have all kinds of industrial facilities all over the country in various places. And because they needed manpower to operate those things, then people began to move into places where those where the, where the inexpensive power was available. It didn't take human power. It didn't take animal power. All it took was wood and then eventually coal and then eventually petroleum as the fuel. And so when they found petroleum, then somebody thought about a possibility of building an engine that would burn this petroleum inside. And so it was called the internal combustion engine. And one thing about it was that it was lighter and uh, could provide more power than the steam engines that they used to use before. And they were a lot smaller than those steam engines. So they they began then... uh, to having their machinery operated by uh, gasoline engines. And then they found out that they could also put this in a little simple frame with wheels on it, and they had an, uh, the first, uh, the first uh, uh, type of an automobile that was produced. Well, all of these things seemed so innocuous. They, they didn't see any problems with having those things, but then it led to the conditions that we have now. So uh, we had to learn then the purpose for Krishna's material ingredients, what to do with them. And the early, early on, again, when they were in the agrarian society, they depended on Mother Earth for sustenance. And they, uh, what, one of the benefits for, uh, for depending entirely on it was that you could supply just about everything a village need, needed especially if you had a little bit of a division of labor. Somebody was good at running a blacksmith forge. Somebody was good at uh, at building a house. You know, different people had different abilities, and so people found out that just using the local ingredients, they could depend on Mother Earth for, for their sustenance. All it took was some, some pretty decent land uh, on which they could grow crops and enough water. And, and and those were the basic ingredients. As long as you had land, you know, fertile land. As long as you had a source of water, uh, you could you could you could settle down there and live a very peaceful life, just raising some crops, raising whatever your family needed, maybe uh, purchasing a cow or a horse or something, some animals like that. That uh, it, that's another form of renewal, renewable energy. You just let them let them go out and graze on the grasses that are there, and then they can do work for you, and they can also supply milk for you. So the people learned that Mother Earth was very accommodating. She allowed people to live a very good life. And then they also, they didn't have the problem with waste products that we have today. First of all, human waste, as long as people were living in a fairly small village or with some distance between the houses, even the human waste could be put back into the land and help to make it more fertile. Just like using animal waste, which is really preferable, especially cow dung and cow urine, they're said to be the you know superior sources of, of nutrients for the soil. But even human waste could be dealt with. 
And so people became very satisfied with living this very simple lifestyle. And we we know uh, from the studies that have been done today that people, people, if they are living out in the countryside, performing these tasks for their own sustenance, their own maintenance, that they are considerably more freed from anxiety and depression, which seem to be the, plaguing our modern society that we're in now. So many drugs have had to be created to help people just live a fairly normal life because they're coming together in large area, large uh, numbers, uh, such as we have here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Some, I've heard recently something like 9 million people in this metroplex. And that's a lot of people, and there's a lot of waste generated, now, not only human waste, but also industrial waste. And I, I worked at a, a paper plant for a couple of summers while I was in school over in western Alabama, just across the line from Mississippi where my parents' home was. And I found that in this paper company, there were a lot of chemicals used to change the pulp of the wood that that was cut and brought in on trucks or by trains, uh, to change that into something that could then eventually become uh, like toilet paper, and paper towels and paper napkins and write paper that you write on, all of these kinds of products. At that particular plant, it was mostly a tissue type of paper, which meant bathroom tissue and, and, the, and the paper towels and such. But the, the, the big problem that a company like that faced was what to do with all of the waste that comes out of the processing. Because some of that waste is very caustic. It can burn the skin, and they use also uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, chlorine, which is a gas, and and that chlorine is used to bleach things out. You know, we we have uh, we have what we call chlorine bleach that we buy in the in the store uh, in a bottle. It's it's very very good for cleaning things, but it's also very damaging when it goes back into streams. And so that was one of the big problems that this paper company had uh, was uh, how to clean up the, uh, the, the materials that they used uh, in the processing of paper, making paper out of, out of, bar, out of the trees. And so uh, there, was, there was some agency of the federal government that would uh, go up and down the river in boats taking water samples at different times during the day to make sure that this paper company was releasing no more than the allowable amount of pollution. And what was interesting to me was that they that any level of pollution was permitted to go back into the river. So they took water from the river for their processing of the paper, and then they dumped back into the river that uh, the the water that had some of those chemicals still in it. So even though they had these big settling ponds with aerators in them to help get rid of stuff, and they promoted the growth of bacteria, which helped to clean up all the stuff that was in the water, which was surprising to me. You know, I thought, well, if you you have polluted water, you just pour bleach in it and it makes it clean. But that wasn't true because there's a lot of solids in there that have to be disposed of. Just like with dealing with human body waste, you, you can't just pour bleach in it and it's all clean and nice because it, we, it goes into our water system, doesn't it? So it has to be cleaned up and all the solid particles then uh, filtered out before it, they allow it to go back into the streams, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. But since we're in an industrial age now, that's getting rid of the waste products is one of the big problems, and the industrial companies then try to encourage their politicians to pass laws which keep them from having to clean it up completely. And so they, they have large amounts of money, the industrialists do, which they use to influence the politicians in our governments. And they, so they make it easier for these companies to exist because if these companies couldn't exist here, they were simply going to move someplace where, like another country, 
where they don't have such strict environmental laws as we have here. So these are the kinds of things that come about as as man has become like the secondary or subordinate, subordinate creator. Um, Krishna, what he creates, everything is very nice and it's intended for the pleasure of the living entities who have chosen to leave the spiritual world and come into this material world. So ultimately we have to pursue the goal of, of human life. And one of the things we have to do, uh, not only as individuals, but also as groups of people, we have to show by example uh, how to, um, how, how to, what, in other words, how to use the earth without polluting it so badly, uh, how to become satisfied with a more simple lifestyle, and uh, have, and then. Uh, to free the society from the kinds of diseases and the uh, that it, that it has, the, such as the anxiety and depression we mentioned earlier, and then so we have to we have to show by example the proper use of this material world. Krishna, in his Vishnu forms, has created a very a very nice place to be, nice as it can be for a place that is temporary. And this material world is temporary, and that's one of the problems with it, because we, the spirit souls, are eternal. We cannot, we cannot die. We can just simply take birth again and again and again in this material world. So we have to learn the connection, then, between simple living and worshiping the Supreme Lord, whose material energy it is that we find ourselves entrapped in. And then uh, if when we do that, if we can get back to a simpler lifestyle as, as we're trying to do now out at the, the farm that Radhanath Prabhu has generally, generously uh, given us a lease to, um, if we can uh, get a simple lifestyle set up there and people can find out how it is possible to live there and to earn their livelihoods doing simple things, then uh, then perhaps we'll have time to spend educating the rest of the public. And this is one of the major problems that the world has right now is being properly educated because right now all of our educational institutions seem to be dedicated to the proposition of providing workers for the industrial military complexes that are present in in not only this country but in other countries throughout the world. So we need to spend some time uh, as devotees of Krishna then uh, trying to help other people understand why a simpler lifestyle is preferable to this, uh, this industrial lifestyle that we have at present. And then by doing that, by educating the public how to, how to do that, then we can help them to understand what is the ultimate goal of this material life. But if we're always in anxiety, we're rushing back and forth, you know, going to educational institutions or going to jobs um, or going to other countries with our military might, trying to force them to give up some of their uh, material ingredients that they have, the natural ingredients of the country, so that we can use it in our industries. If we can get away from that kind of thing, then we'll have the time and the inclination to renew our relationship with this supreme personality who has created this material world for us to come into. And if we don't do that, then we'll continue uh, in this age of Kali with things getting just simply worse and worse and worse. And it's all because of greed and the lust for power, the lust for pleasure, the lust for possessions. So we have our work cut out for us. And that's what we hope to try to do in, in our lifetime, show other people how they can live a sane lifestyle uh, in perfect harmony with this material world that we're in, learn about the spiritual world from which we've come, learn who is the proprietor and how we can please that personality and eventually find our way back to the place that we have come from. So that's our job. It's cut out for us. And if we can do it, then the whole world will be better because of it. Hare Krishna. Lord Tamananda Prabhu.
Comment or question? Hey, Krishna. This is a question. Thank you for coming and giving class. It was very nice. My question has to do with um, the modern scientific paradigm that rejects a god, a supreme being. And basically, um, they use the concept of transcendental or transcendence within the scientific worldview in that um, they describe an origin of creation that exists previous to the universe. Okay? So transcendental, the dictionary definition of transcendental is something that exists before um, or, or is not influenced by the to- by time. It exists separate from um, past, present, and future. So, within their um, explanation or within their their uh, rejection of God, what they say is that um, everything that we know of as a person requires time to think takes time to desire something takes time to perform an action takes time and if something exists outside of time or prior to this universal creation it cannot be a person because a person as we know it what we what we experience as persons um, are within time. I mean, you cannot think of you cannot have a thought without taking time. So, therefore, they conclude. I hope this is going to be an easy question. So, therefore, they conclude because we're talking about creation. That was part of the uh, verse today. That um, that the supreme Lord is a person. And he's the origin of creation. But our modern education system, it rejects that by definition, even using the concept of transcendence. So that's my question. How would you answer that? How do you, how do you address that? I'm sorry. I missed the question part. The question is how can the origin of creation be a person? If a person takes time, a person is under the confines or the underneath the 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 perimeter of time they're within the perimeter of time personality requires time all right in this in this world we are um, only familiar with things that have a beginning and an end things that uh, are confined in space like we are confined right now in in this uh, on this planet, and and so uh, we we uh, it is very difficult. And you know we can appreciate the fact that some people can't understand that there is a supreme creator. We appreciate that because uh, we don't have an example within this world of things that are all powerful. In other words, without limit, or that are not affected by time. And so it's only within this world that we're finding those things. And and most people just simply don't have any experience um, or any connection with that kind of knowledge that there is a that there can be uh, eternality because they think everything has a beginning and an end. And so they think that their own existence is lying between those two points, the beginning, whenever that takes place. And even the, even the, the oldest churches, you were talking yesterday about your experience in the Catholic Church. I heard your, your comments that you made. And so even in the Catholic Church, uh, they don't know when the living entity comes into being. They think that he comes into being, but according to the Bhagavad Gita, he has not come into being. He is not presently coming into being, 
and in the future he will not come into being. Because he is, he always is, being part and parcel of the Supreme Lord who is also eternal. Uh, so they don't have any concept of eternality. They don't have any concept of infinite space. You know, they talk about it, but they don't really understand how it can be. And nor do they have the idea that all of this material creation that we're in now had a beginning and it has an end. But it's not that it just disappears. Actually, it turns back into the original energy enters back into the body of the person from whom it came, the, the Karuna Dakashai Vishnu. So these are these are concepts that they, Naratam, that they just have not been educated to to know about. They simply don't have any knowledge, and so ignorance is one of the is, is if it's not the biggest problem, it's ahead of whatever's in second place. It's, it, in other words, it is ignorance is one is the biggest problem that that this the people of this day and time living within this material universe is the biggest problem they have. They simply don't have any uh, introduction uh, to that which is timeless, that which is infinite, that which is all powerful, all knowing. Would you give a definition of eternality? Pardon. Can you give a de- definition of infinite space or internality? That which has no beginning, that which has no end. Okay, so we don't we don't have that concept. In, um, everything that we're familiar with has a beginning and has an end. Well, in absolute mathematics, they discuss that. Like, for example, they'll say infinity minus infinity minus infinity equals infinity. So there's a concept within mathematics that embraces that, but. You know, and, people, and people are so bewildered by that concept, Naratum, that they, they just accept the, the people who talk about that stuff, they accept them as being practically the, you know, the chief knowers of the universe. My, see, again, my question is, can you explain how there's a person, a personality, who is not influenced by time or not within the confines of time. See, they are accepting that there is an origin to creation, but they're saying that origin of creation is beyond time. Because if they're within time, that means they're part of the creation. If they're within time, that means they have a beginning, they have a middle, and they have an end. So to exist or to be the origin of that which is within the perimeter of time... You cannot be a person because personality requires time. So my my question, even though you're saying they're 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 ignorant, they don't understand eternality, but you've not yet established how personality, how a supreme personality, can exist without the, without being within the perimeter of time. That's my question. How how can it be? That's that's what you're asking, right? Exactly. How, how can it be? Can and and, be that's, and that's, that's also what they're asking, right? Exactly. How can it be? How can there be a person? You know, you know what the best answer is? I don't know. But the Bible tells it, and so it must be so. No, but that's <laughs> why they reject that. That's what? Educate, the education system rejects that. And you have to accept Jesus, or you'll burn in hell. You know, the, the well, you know, they accept so many things, Nartum, that the scientists say that they have no proof of. They talk about things being light years away. We know that this universe that we're in is finite. It's four billion miles across. And we know from, from, the, from the Vedas that the moon is farther away from us than the sun is. And that both are, are planets of the demigods. Some have fiery bodies and others have other kinds of bodies made of different kinds of things, you know. How does that happen? We don't know how it happens. This is all part of Krishna's creation. Now, how do we come to believe what is given in the Vedas? Well, you have a choice. You can believe what's given in the Vedas. You can believe all the scientists and their theories. They say, that oh, this is religion that has no scientific basis. Well, you're telling me you you could you can tell me the characteristics of something that's five billion light years away. You can tell me the characteristics of that thing. Nah. 
So in, in any case, there's, there's a lot of ignorance both in the scientific community and among others, uh, you know, who just don't have any faith in religious, in religious matters. But they do have faith in something. And what they have faith in is, is just full of holes. Their, their logic is full of holes. They're, they have no proof of what they're saying. But they convince, they try to convince everybody else that religionists have no proof of anything they're saying. Well, we accept our proof on the basis of, of the literatures, the Vedic literatures. And uh, what, what is, how do, how, do we, how do we justify our belief in the Vedic literatures? Because Krishna sends a representative to come and tell us. And by, uh, by being around that person, we become convinced that what, is, what, he, what he is saying is true. If he tells us there is a supreme person, we believe it. Just by reading and understanding the literatures that Srila Prabhupada has brought to us, we become convinced that, yes, there is a God, and, yes, he is a person. And not only is it a person, but as you were mentioning yesterday, they have the concept of God as, as an old grandfather with a long beard and, and no face, just an oval oval shape, something or other. If you go to the NASA display in Houston, you'll see a large painting when you're leaving. The painting is very big. It's probably 10 feet across. And it has a picture of uh, Moses and Jesus and um, the blank, o- the the God with the blank oval of her face, handing the uh, Ten Commandments to the astronauts, and it says that science is the religion of the modern age. But again, my question, you know, take let's say for you know you're describing is there's a tremendous amount of ignorance, there's a tremendous amount of speculation, there's unverifiable statements. But can we give a definition? For, let me just recouch my question. What is the difference between a transcendental person and personality that we experience within this world. How can you say that Krishna is not under the influence of time? Uh, by the evidence that's given us by the Vedas. What is that? Can you make a statement what it is? You know, in other words, yes, you're you're saying that that your proof is the Vedas. When somebody says, "Prove to me God exists," you're saying here the Srimad Bhagavatam is the proof. So what does the Bhagavatam say? How do you, what is a transcendental person as opposed to a material, what we know of as personality within this world? And I would say to a person who had such a question, you know, I can give you my two or three minutes of time, but here, take this book and read it, and then come back and we'll talk. Did you have a comment, please? Nitacharan Prabhu. Thank you for that wonderful class, Rupanugapuru. I just want to comment on scientists since we've been talking about, you know, scientists and scientific things. Um, there's this one video, and it might be controversial, but there's this one video that I've seen some time ago. There's one Christian that he's been, you know, asking, uh, scientists and atheists about their conception of creation and how humans evolve from, they say, from Monkeys, then we became humans, and there's dinosaurs, etc., etc. So, in scientific, you can say evidence or scientific knowledge that there should be facts. We there's like a cause and effect. There's a fact, and then from that fact, we have the effect. But then he questioned them: How do we know that we evolved from humans, from from gorillas or monkeys to humans, if we don't see it ourselves. I mean, it's like seeing is believing. That's that what they're saying. But we can't. Sh- they can't. The scientists can't show us that we've evolved from this species to another species. So, in a sense, it's also just accepting in faith what the scientists or other people are saying. So, in a sense, 
it's the same as, in a sense, religion. Because in the Bible or even the Shemabotam, it says us this, and we accept it as, um, obviously in Krishna consciousness, we accept what Krishna says because we practice it and we experience it. And, but, but in, in the, what the scientists are saying that, you know, we are evolving from this to this, but they don't show the fact, so we're accepting it as a faith as well. So it's not really a fact. It's just something I would like to say. If, if that makes sense. So the, the statements of the scientists, they, um, they can't, they can't go, they, they don't have proof of all, all of their statements. They, they cannot prove it. They they say that sun, the sun has is so so large and so has such a mass you know tell how much bigger it is than the earth and all these things and and uh, how do, how do they prove it they because they're they're standing here looking at the sun and they're feeling the warmth they're seeing the light of the sun but then they're saying it is so much more massive than the earth is where do they get that and they say that the, the energy coming from it is is due to all the Hydrogen explosions, uh, in other words, nuclear explosions that are going on constantly in the sun, and that eventually it's going to run out of, of materials to produce that energy. That's what they're saying. And how do they know? They're standing here just like you and I are, looking at the sun. They see a bright light. They see they feel the heat. And then they come up with all these conclusions based on their theories. And they call that the scientific method. They, they, but they don't. They cannot use the scientific method to prove anything. No, Do you believe that atoms exist? Do I believe that atoms exist? I do. Have you ever seen an atom? Uh, not personally, but I know people who have seen atoms. Can you Google an image of an atom? <laughs> Can you do what? Google an image of an atom. Now, see, Nartam is presenting the kinds of questions that the scientists really don't have an answer to. They have, they've come up with this model of, of, of an atom, and they say that the particles, an atom is the smallest particle, but they say, no, wait, there are proteins and neutrons in the, nu- in the nucleus, and there's an electron buzzing, or, or are there many electrons buzzing around the outside? So they've, they've got all of these theories. And so they make something and they say, well, it's based on our understanding that has been given to us by our predecessors who tell us what an atom is. And they say that electricity uh, flows through copper wires because copper has a lot of free electrons in it. And therefore, then when you apply voltage to one end of a copper wire, it can force the electrons, the free electrons, to go through the through the material to get to where you want it to go. So, you know, it's all, it seems a very logical understanding of things. But they're talking about things that nobody's ever seen, just like Nartam is saying. They, they've never seen an atom. They have not seen electricity. But they say, well, we know that it's there because look at the results. And so we say, in, in return, we know that the spirit soul is within the body because we can see because of the effects that it has on the body. And when, this, when the body becomes lifeless, we say, then the, the, that which has powered the body and has given it personality and made it look so real and so attractive or so repulsive, all that is gone now, and there's just the body lying there. And all those bodies look pretty much the same. They're made of the same ingredients. And if you take all those bodies and you throw them out into the woods, you come back a year later, there will be very few things left. There'll be some bones and some, you know, some skull or something like that. But if you come back ten years later, not likely you're going to find even that. So they, they don't believe us when we say that uh, human society was much more advanced 10 million years ago than it is now. Because they think that human life came on this planet back at maybe 30,000 years ago. What were we called? Homo sapiens? Homo sapiens. <laughs> that which walks upright on two legs. 
Oh, thank you very much. So I, I really um, appreciate this. You know, I'm asking you this as a, more as a college instructor because I, I, you know, you're confronted with these things in the minds of many. And um, I think you've got a lot of good answers to give to those people who have as their religion science, mm. and those who reject then anything having anything coming from religion, real religion. They reject it on the basis of saying that uh, it can't be proven scientifically. You know, your point, I just want to revisit that as a conclusion, and that is, you know, who will we actually accept as an authority? You're saying that, you know, we have a spiritual master, like we can use Shula Prabhupada as an example, and basically we find within him all good qualities and a selfless nature um, and, and a person who... Um, was experiencing a higher dimension, a higher type of happiness. He wasn't, you know, so now when we compare that to the authorities that we see within science as people, like like if we just go down the row here and we look at each example, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Gurudev, Srila Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, Sursati, Gorgashita, we can see within them um, an authority that is easier to accept than the authority of you know the 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 men and women that are presenting science in terms of their personal character even even if it is not easier to accept artem uh it is uh, it is more pleasing it is more pleasing to accept the these personalities that you're mentioning whose pictures are on our altar uh, they're more pleasing to us, and the type of lifestyle that they're recommending to us is more uh, palatable and more enjoyable than the lifestyle that the scientists have given us. The, li- the scientists have given us an, in- an industrial military complex that's running the world now, and people people see that. But, you know, there's only a limited amount of, of power that they have to, to make changes. You know, they, they might vote some politician in the office. And then somebody comes and hands him a check for $500 million to run his campaign. And so who's, who is he going to listen to? Is he going to listen to the person who can make life better for everyone? Or is he going to listen to the person that handed him that check for $500 million? Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Thank you for the discussion, Artem. Your questions are always appreciated. And uh, if Mr. Bhagwan Prabhu is is listening in right now, uh, I I miss him being here also because he always has very thoughtful questions to present. But anyhow, we thank you, all of you who are listening in by radio, telephone, or Internet uh, for taking some time to be with us this morning. We hope that something in the discourse this morning has helped you in your understanding, your dedication to pursue Krishna consciousness. So we offer our respectful obeisances and all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Vanchakalpatarubhischa kripasandubhyevacha patitanam bhavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namah Anantakoti Vaishnavrinda ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Sri Sri Radha Kalachanjidam ki jai, Gora Premananda. Have a good day out there, everyone. Krishna Goswami.